You are listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. We meet at 28241 Mound Road in Warren, Michigan. If you would like more information about our service times, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy this recording. Yes, yes I am. I'm going to move this Bible before we get started. Yeah, I'm just moving this. Yeah, I'm just I'm going to use a different translation. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you meant take it later. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question, Madeline. You're pretty observant. We don't want your shadow here, we want your glow. Yeah, you don't want that right now. <laughs> What's up, Paradox family? It's so good to see uh, a handful of you in the building today. What's up, Mike? Yeah! And it's awesome to know that so many of you guys have been following us online over the last several weeks through this. Uh, interesting, interesting year. Uh, if you're new, uh, my name is Michael Howard. I'm the student ministry director here. Our Revolution Student Program meets every Monday night at my house. Uh, we have a bonfire and a cookout, so we're talking bratwurst, hamburgers, hot dogs, milkshakes, ice cream. I know some of you guys are jealous, but it's for middle, middle and high school kids only. I see, I see the looks, um, but we just, we just have a great time. And we use that uh, to get to know Jesus a little bit better. Uh, one of the things that I learned pretty quickly in student ministry is that you got to do two things. One, you got to be able to take a joke because they love to make fun of you, uh, especially one of our pastor's daughters. Um, they give me a hard time all the time. Uh, I kind of deserve it. And the other thing is you got to be able to tell a joke. Like everybody loves a good joke. I think the important part of a good joke is it needs no explanation. So I'm going to tell you guys my all-time favorite joke, but I need, to, I need some help. So I'm going to grab Mike and Liz. Yay, Mike. Yay, Liz. Woo! All right. So neither one of you guys have heard this joke before, right? Nope. just want to make that very clear. Mike has no clue what he's doing. I literally asked him about five minutes to come up here. Oh, that joke. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there's th- three penguins in a bathtub. The first penguin said to the last penguin, can you pass me a soap? 
The last penguin goes, what do you think I am, a typewriter? (laughs) Uh, It's funny. Get it? Funny? Funny? You don't get it? All right. One more time. One more time. So there's three penguins. Yeah. They're from the North Pole. Three penguins from the North Pole in a ceramic tub in Ohio. All right. All All that's important. You got it? The first penguin says to the third penguin, can you pass me the soap? Third penguin goes, what do you think I am, a typewriter? (laughs) You really don't get it. Madeline gets it. Madeline's laughing back there. It's funny. It's a knee slapper. All right, he doesn't get it. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Somebody didn't get the joke, so I guess I have to explain it. Um, The first time I heard this joke, I was uh, at... Camp. I think I was in middle school or high school, and the speaker on the stage tells a joke just like I did. And I'm looking around, everyone loses it. Everyone's cracking up. I'm like, what is going on? I've never been to camp before. These people are crazy. And so he tells the joke again with more intricate details and emphasizing certain points. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what is the point of the joke. Still didn't get it. And so he goes on and on for about five minutes telling the same joke, and people are laughing louder and louder and louder. And then it hit me. The point of the joke was me. Uh, if you've heard this joke before, like, you know, like, whenever you hear it, just bust out laughing. And those that don't know the joke are going to spend all that time, energy, and effort trying to figure out what's the point of the joke? What's the point of the joke? So it's really more of a prank than a joke. Uh, so I think it just makes me think of how easy it is in life to miss the point. Um, I think of myself uh, recently, my wife for Mother's Day, I tried to get her this really cool gift for Mother's, Mother's Day, and I had an issue with the eBay buyer, so I had to, like, squash that. It really didn't work out, so I was like, oh, I'm going to redeem myself for, for her birthday. Her birthday was shortly after Mother's Day, and I love giving gifts, and so I worked hard. I saved up to give my wife this really nice blender that I thought she was really going to love, and I was like, man, she's going to have a great birthday, right? I love giving gifts. The other side of that is my wife doesn't necessarily love receiving gifts. That's just not her love language, you know? And so I'm, I'm up here all excited about giving her this gift for her birthday, and I'm like, why are you not excited as I am? And then she, you know, she's like, man, you know what I really want? I want to go to, um, forget the name of this restaurant, that gives, like she has this list of places you can go to on your birthday to get free food. She's like, I just want to drive around and go get those, and kind of be by myself for a little while. I was like, what? Hold on. It's your birthday, and you don't want to be with me? And I got offended that she didn't want to spend time with me for her birthday. Um, If you guys don't know, my wife is a stay-at-home mom, so that means she spends 24 hours with our two little kids all the time, and all she really wanted was a few moments of peace, tranquility, Uh, maybe a spa day, I mean, if that was possible, and I just completely blew it. I completely missed the point, because I was so focused on trying to do what I thought was the right thing, that I just just missed the big picture. Uh, I think I'm not the only one that has a tendency to miss the point. When it comes to, at times when something's important, and we're really passionate about it, I think we're so focused on something, like I was so focused on getting her that blender, that I miss the big picture. And a lot of that is is like when we're passionate, we're focused, 
um, but sometimes we're too focused where we miss the grand scheme of things. This year has been absolutely insane. Like from the jump, I was like, man, January is going to be great. This year is going to be the best. 2020, let's go. Here's all my dreams, my hopes, my plans. And then your homegirl COVID rolled around and changed all of that, right? And, and not, just, not just the virus, but there's so many other things that are important right now. You know, we look at what's the virus response. Do we wear, do we wear masks or no masks? You look at racial injustice that's going around. Is it all lives matter? Is it black lives matter? What is church going to look like in the future? Uh, are we going to be able to be in the building? Are we going to be able to sing? All these things. What is, what is school? What is what's school going to look like in the fall? You know, what, all these things are important. And all these things deserve a, a, an important conversation around them. But I feel like when we get so passionate and so hyped up, and I'm guilty of it myself, we get so passionate and so focused on trying to be right and trying to make sure everyone else around us is right that we completely miss the point. Like I said, I'm guilty of it myself, but maybe I'm not the only one. The good thing is, I'm not. There's a whole group of people in the Bible that Jesus talks about that were known to completely miss the point. Not just once, not just twice, but every single time we hear this group of people in the Bible, they're like, how do they not get it? Like God's standing in front of them. How do they not see the truth, right? Um, you guys may have heard of them before. They're called the Pharisees. And when you hear the Pharisees, you should think of like the religious elites, like the guys in the super suits and the ties and the big Sunday hats. And you're like, man, that's God's guy. Like that's what you think of when you, like the Pharisees. They were the religious zealots. They were like the know-alls and be-all. Like they had the entire Old Testament memorized, not just a few verses, not just the Ten Commandments. They knew it all from heart. You could give them a line and they'd be able to recite the rest of the passage. That's how much they knew the law. And so these guys were over the top. A lot of times we talk about them um, and say they're legalistic. And they get a really bad rap. I think part of it is they, they deserve it. Um, but because of how much they knew about the law, how much um, studying they did, it was two groups. They came up with 603 laws from the Old Testament plus the Ten Commandments, 613. And they outlined these laws and said, and then they added a few of their own and said, this is what it means to be righteous. And some of these laws were crazy. First off, no bacon. I'm not down with that. But... <laughs> Some of them was like, the, you know, the Bible says honor the Sabbath and make it, keep it holy. And so for them, you can't work on the Sabbath. So you had to take a certain number of steps on the Sabbath, and then you had to sit down and rest. You couldn't just like go from town to town on the Sabbath. You couldn't travel on the Sabbath because that was too much work. Um, I just got back from a trip from Alabama. <sighs> Traveling is a lot of work. But these people were crazy. Like I, you, and so if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to take another, a few steps, sit down, and rest. And then take a few more steps and sit down and rest. But they were so focused on being what was doing, being right or righteous, that they missed the big picture. They even came after Jesus. One day Jesus was in a town, uh, I think Jerusalem, and he was healing people and he was talking to people. And it was so happened to be the Sabbath. And they came at Jesus like, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing? You can't be doing this. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus looked at them and said, what's easier, to forgive this guy's sins or tell him to get up and walk? And they go like, uh, 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 and Jesus like, all right, come on, let's go for a walk. And he healed this guy that hasn't walked in 40 years. 
And, but they, they couldn't, they lost their mind. They couldn't figure out, like, what is this guy doing? Now, the Pharisees are the ones that knew the whole Old Testament. So they should have been able to pick Jesus out of the crowd, out of everyone. But they missed it. And so they focused in on, we're going to get Jesus. We're going to make sure we get that guy. We're going to cancel Jesus, right? And so eventually, they were the ones that led Jesus to the cross and crucified him using the Roman government because they were so focused on being right. And you're like, man, they get, they get a bad rap, but they were trying to do the right thing. So they really believe that God is holy, and he is. And so they're like, man, if God is holy, we must be holy too. We must live out everything, and we cannot make a mistake. So they tried to toe the line so much and do what the Bible was saying and, and chase after God, but they completely missed the point. Like, wait a minute, Mike. Did you just say they were chasing after God and following the Bible but missed the point? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm just repeating Jesus who said it. So we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Um, Matthew is one of the first disciples that Jesus uh, recruited, so to speak. And in this passage, we're looking at what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It was a sermon that Jesus gave. Guess where it was? On a mount. Don't know what that means, but here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17. This is what Jesus says. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. That's an important note. We'll come back to it. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teach these things will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. This passage is trying to give the Pharisees the point, right? Because they were there. They, heard, they were there in the audience when he was giving this sermon. He was trying to tell them, hey, guys, here's the point. A lot of times when speakers get up on the stage, they give you a little intro to get you your, your interest, you know, like a joke or something. And then they kind of try to get you to relate to them by telling you a story about maybe their family and then kind of segue into the Bible. You see what I did there? And then they wait until they give you all the scriptures and then give you the main point at the end. But I don't want us to miss the point. So I'm going to give you the main point, the conclusion point right now. Are you ready? Jesus came to make a new way, and that new way is love. Jesus came to make a new way, and that way is love. That's what he's trying to tell the Pharisees right here. He's like, hey, I'm not coming to throw out what we believe in. Jesus believed in the law. He's not saying like, oh, the law is trash. And me, I'm a rule follower, so I'm glad. You know, I've, I don't break rules. Don't ask my mom that. Um, so I'm glad. Like, hey, I'm glad Jesus didn't try to throw out the law. He said, no, no, I came to fulfill it. Because the reality is, no matter how hard Michael Howard tries, Michael Howard can't follow the law. Not, not the biblical law, not the U.S. law. I mean, I probably broke the speed limit on my way to church today. So... 
and just the reality is, I couldn't fulfill God's law, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. Like, what, is, what does that mean, fulfill the law? In, in the Bible, it talks about how we all have broken the law, how we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God had a standard. Michael Howard's down here. Michael Howard's really down here. You know, we've all fallen short of God's law. And because of that, just like a legal system, there's a penalty to breaking the law. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, and that is the requirement of the law. So all these Pharisees that they were trying to get people to, they was like, hey man, if you don't toe the line, you deserve death. And they would kill people and ostracize them outside of the city. Oh, you broke the law, get out. But Jesus said, that I love my, my favorite word in scriptures, three letters, B-U-T, but. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Jesus came for. And he was telling the Pharisees, hey, the law is important because I'm here and I value the law and I value the little things in the law, but you're missing the point. And the point of the law is me. The point of the law is love. Uh, I'm a, I love studying the Hebrew language. I'm a little bit of a nerd in that area. And when it talks about in that passage, the little, the smallest letter um, in the Hebrew language, uh, you can think of it like an apostrophe. It's almost irrelevant, except for like you grammar Nazis back there, <coughs> Madeline Freeman. Um, <laughs> apostrophes are almost irrelevant. And so Jesus is saying like, hey, the, the littlest, the smallest aspect of the law matters. Remember I said that Jesus came to make a new way, and the new way is love. Um, I love, my wife had uh, went out of town for two weeks. And I got to hang out with a bunch of high school guys for that week, working in the wood shop and just playing video games and getting annoyed by them, but I like them. And so when, when uh, they left, my wife came back in town, and I remember the first night she came back, I, um, uh, I went to go to our front door to turn off our front porch light. And she like, rose over and was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, leave the light on. I turned it on. So you, when you go to work in the morning, you don't have to leave in darkness. And I was just like, man. I remember for, we've been married for nearly four years. Um, and I, I actually wrote it down in my phone the first time I noticed, like my wife, every night she would leave the light on for me. Something that seems so little. When I go to work in the morning, I don't have to stumble out in darkness because I go to work at four, three o'clock in the morning. And when I come home at night, like she has the house lit for me. And it's like, man, that little thing. Jesus is saying the little things matter. That little aspect, that little whisper, that little sign of love matters. But again, the Pharisees miss the point. And Jesus is saying the little things are important. Uh, I'm going to reread verse, uh, verse 20 in Matthew 5. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get in the kingdom of heaven. When I read that, I was like, man, I'm thinking about the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and how they told the line. Like, man, they were, if you had a definition of righteous, it, they'd probably be the poster child, or you would at least think. Because, I mean, they would go as far as they would wear these little black boxes on their head, and they would take pieces of, the, of Scripture, and they would put them in these black boxes, and they would literally strap them to their head because they didn't want to forget the law. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about always keeping God's law in your mind, his truth on your mind, and so they took that that serious. I'm looking at this like, man, 
I can't do that. I can't be as good as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Like, I know what I did yesterday. I know what I did today. I know what I'm probably going to do tomorrow. Like, I'm, I'm, I sin. There's no way Michael's righteousness could be equivalent to theirs. And, and to see that as saying, oh, I have to be better than them, or I'll never get in the kingdom of heaven. I, what Jesus is talking about there is, is, is emphasizing the point that they missed. They were so focused on themselves and so focused on their righteousness and so focused on doing the right thing that they missed love. They missed the one who wrote the law. I love one of the, one, and later in the Bible it talks about God is love. And so while you're so focused on doing the right thing, you forgot that love wrote the law. The law is love because love wrote the law, and they just missed that aspect. So later on in Matthew, Jesus talks about that again. And so we're going to flip over to Matthew 7, verses 12 and 14. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Sums it up right there. This is the law. Do for others what you want them to do for you. He goes on to say, Enter, th- enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult is the road that leads to life, and few find it. Um, one, of, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, my, my favorite verse in the Bible is Mark 12, 30, and 31. Every Monday night when I'm talking to the students, like they hear it, they probably have it memorized just because of so many times that I say it. And, and it's the golden rule. Um, Mark 12, 30, and 31 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is lo- uh, just like the first, to love your neighbor as itself. When Je- Jesus was saying that in answering to the scribes, saying, oh, what commandment? They were asking him, what law is the most important? What law is the most important, Jesus? Because we want to make sure we're doing the right thing, Jesus. What law is the most important? Notice what he answered with. To love the Lord your God and to love people. Love God and love people. Sometimes I like to say, love God and love people and do whatever you want. Because as long as you're doing those two, you're fulfilling God's law. There's, there's no reason to try to sit here and focus on towing a line as long as I'm loving God and loving people. I'm fulfilling what he called me to do. Some of you guys, somebody back there asked, why do I have a backpack on? Uh, they were trying to give me a hint to take it off, but I have it on for a reason. Some of you guys observant online might have been wondering the same thing. Uh, I just got back out of state from Alabama. Um, it's like my, I think, second time ever going to Alabama, but it's my first time flying this year. So it was really interesting. You know, flew out of Detroit, flight was smooth, and then I get into South Carolina, and this airport is massive. Uh, I thought Detroit's airport was big. This airport is huge. The plane they flew us down, I was expecting it to be like half full because everything that's going on. And there was 100 and plus, 100, I think they said 115 people on this plane. So I'm like, geez, this is a big plane. And then when we get to uh, Columbia, South Carolina, they put us on this itty bitty jet to fly over to where I was going to Alabama. And 
I, I wasn't expecting it because we get off this plane from Detroit, which is a big airport, and then Columbia, which is another in, uh, international airport, at this massive gate. And everybody's walking through it, and we're just going. It's a big traffic area. And so when we go off and we go into this, uh, we have to, like, go downstairs, through a door, walk outside, and then to actually get on the plane, they lowered a door of the plane, and we had to walk up the door. I took pictures of it. I couldn't believe this was, like, a real deal. Like, I've never flown on a plane that small. Um, But we had to, like, carefully walk, and I'm like, man, I'm... I was worried because there was like an elderly individual in front of me, and I thought I was going to have a hard time on the stairs. I almost slipped. I was worried that they were going to slip, and then we were just going to like a domino effect down. Uh, but thankfully, nobody got hurt. We all got on a plane. Um, this passage here is talking about two different gates. You have a wide gate and a narrow gate. In the city of Jerusalem, there was 12 gates there. Um, and the, the big wide ones they had open in the day. So a bunch of people went through. You could take your little cart and buggy. I guess they had camels to drag their buggies. But you, you would carry your cart and all your baggage through the gate. It was wide. It was open. It facilitated a lot of traffic. I guess a, a way to think of it is like Hall Road, you know, eight lanes, massive road. Everyone hates driving on it, but we all drive on it because it's easy. It facilitates a lot of people. Important places that we want to go to are right there. So we all, we all go there. It facilitates a lot of volume. And, like, it's easy. I, I've, I've bought a trailer recently, and um, driving on those larger roads is so much easier with a trailer, with the baggage, which carrying, hauling stuff. And then, so during the day in Jerusalem, they would have this massive gate open. And then in the evening, they would close the gate and only open a narrow gate. And the narrow gate was specific for the people that lived inside the city. They didn't really want visitors coming in at night because, you know, typically if you're coming in and out at night and you're a visitor, you probably were up to no good. And so they had this very narrow gate. I mean, it was so narrow that you couldn't, you couldn't fit a cart through it. You, all you could do, you'd have to take off whatever you had, and you'd be able to squeeze through the gate to get in. This is what Jesus is using this example of a wide gate. The wide gate um, he's talking about the Pharisees, where their religiousness, their righteousness was on display far and wide. I mean, imagine some of us walking around with little black boxes on our head. You know, that, that would stick out. That would stick out. You know, their religiousness, their self-righteousness was on display for everyone to see. But God was saying like, hey, it's the narrow gate. The narrow gate leads to life. Um, living in living in Georgia, one of the times I had to drive down a narrow road, and it was a beautiful scenery, and it was called a highway. So when I was getting there, I thought, man, this is going to be at least a four-lane road, and it turned out to be a single-lane road. Part of it was unpaved. I'm like, goodness. It was 2015. Like, how do you not have all your roads paved, Georgia? I don't know. But it was rough, and, and it was hard to get to, and I definitely would not be driving on this road with a trailer. And it reminds me of the Christian life, that when God is calling us to himself, um, that, that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes that road is rough. I know a lot of times when we talk about the, the wide road and the narrow road, um, we think of like, man, this is what 
the world is doing, and this is what the, you know, the Christians should be doing is the narrow way. But part of that is like our self-righteousness. To, to walk in here and be self-righteous is actually pretty easy for me. Because I can come in here and I can speak and I can act like I have no problems in the world. I can act like me and my mom, me and my wife never got in an argument. Me and my mom never got in an argument. I can act like I'm the best father in the world. It's easy. It's easy, and guess what? Far too many people do it. Far too many of us live in our self-righteousness because it's easy. And so many people do it. And Jesus is saying, when you live like that, you're missing the point. When you're so focused on yourself and doing the right thing and making sure everyone else around you is right, you're missing the points. I love the fact that Jesus is telling, like, hey, it's the narrow gate, the narrow way that you have to go. Because you know what that means? I can't get through that gate with my own self-righteousness. My self-righteousness won't fit if I try to get into the kingdom of heaven. That means all the, all the good stuff that I try to portray for people to see, I'll look at Michael. Jesus said, I don't want any of that. I don't, I don't care about how, much, how many times you've gone to church. I don't care that you read all or listened to all of the NT90 days. That doesn't matter to me. The, what matters to me is love. Do you love me? Do you love others? Do you love me? Do you love others? point was Jesus was trying to iterate to them. I feel like Jesus is trying to iterate to us today. With everything going on right now, we're juggling so many important things. You know, virus, family, job, back again. Like, what, is, what are our plans for next year? Like, what, everything is going on so much. And if we're so focused on doing the right thing, we can miss love. We can miss the one who called us to love. We can miss the one who said, go do the right thing. So I, I, love, I love that that passage where Jesus says, where the scribes are asking, Jesus, what, what is the law? What's the right thing to do? What's the most important thing to do? And he says, to love people, to love God, and to love people. I'm just going to emphasize that point. Jesus came to make a new way, and that new way is love. So the question is, how do we love people? How do we love God, and how do we love people? Um, this is the point in the message where, you know, I said there's, a, there's an intro, and then there's a funny interaction point, and then the speaker builds up into the passage, and now we're at the point where I give you the application and the inspirational statement, right? I just told you every pastor's secret. So just give us a break next time if we don't follow it. This is the point for the application. This is the point where... I tell you how to apply loving God and loving people. And I think, it, to be honest, I think it's really simple. It's, it's hard, but it's really simple. Loving people and loving God is simple, but it's hard. Everyone that's joining us online, after the message, don't, don't do it right now, go to Google and say, Google, how can I love my neighbor? And I guarantee you, I did it right before I got on the stage, and there was about 10 websites, 35 ways to love your neighbor, you know? Like, it, I think we try to make these things so difficult and so hard that we, they're like, man, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, I can't go on a mission trip overseas. I can't go plant a church in Detroit. I can't do those things. We make all these things so difficult. And to be honest, sometimes when things get difficult, we like to do this. Ah, I just can't do it, so I'm going to sit back. 
I'm going to go let the leaders lead and the, and the other people do it. I'm going to go let Pastor Mike share the gospel. I'm going to go let Dave lead mission trips and be a part of discipleship school. I'm just going to sit back and let Liz sing, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to sit here. Because we think, we think loving God and loving people are so big that we can never do it. And the reality is, it's so simple. It's just hard. One of the things that marriage has taught me time and time and time again, marriage is simple. Love my wife, but it's hard. And guess what? I fell at it often. But guess what? I'm going to keep going down that road because it's important, because I love her, and because I value her. So I might, I might try something, and it's like, man, I didn't love my wife, right? Love God, love people. I didn't love my wife right in that moment. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again. I'm not just going to tuck tail and give up. So I, I would challenge you to do this. If you're trying to figure out ways, how can you love God? I, I think the easiest way to love God is to read Scripture. He wrote you a love letter. Um, at Paradox, we've been doing this thing called NC90, where a bunch of us have recorded um, reading through passages and some of them have been kids, and it's been super cute. My wife did one, and she is super cute. Um, but it's so simple to just go to this app. It's on, our, it's on our webpage, and just start listening. I've gotten in the habit of just listening to books, and I caught myself like, man, I've listened to 20 books this year. Why can't I just click on the Bible? It's right there, and just start listening to that as I drive to and from work. So I want to learn how to love God. Let me start listening to his word and meditating on that so I can figure out what to do. And we're like, man, I don't, I don't know about this whole God thing. I'm not, I'm not on the same boat with you, Mike. Like, I don't even know if God is real. I would challenge you to do this. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I challenge you to start reading that Bible or start listening to it to see um, if he'll become real to you. Um, I, I, would, I would wager that um, I've made this bet before, and a lot of people that um, have tried have come to find, like, man, God is so good, and he is so real, and he cares about you even if you don't believe in him now. So I would just challenge you to do that. The other way, man, love God, love people. How do you love people? Go Google it. It's, it's, it's not that hard, you know? Whether that's knocking on your neighbor's door to figure out if they need groceries, if that's hey, cutting your neighbor's grass. I remember one time I wanted to be super cool. I was like, man, my neighbors haven't cut their grass in about two weeks, so I'm just going to go cut it. I didn't say anything to them. I just cut it and moved on with my life. It was a simple act of love. It was just simple. Their yard was itty-bitty. It took me about 15 minutes tops to do it. It's a simple act to show love. So I challenge you, go Google it. Um, what, would, what would our world look like if, if in in crisis and in disaster and in chaos, which I think 2020 sums that up um, between coronavirus and killer bees. Um, man, they're going to make a movie about this year someday. Um, in the midst of crisis, what if we all just took a step back, took a deep breath? It's like, man, how can I love somebody? How can I love somebody that wouldn't expect it? Um, how can I love somebody regardless of what other people think? I think that's where I am now. That's where my biggest challenge is right now, is, is being with people that um, other people were like, mm, you shouldn't be with that person. I flew to Birmingham, and I got to hang out with this homeless guy for about two hours. Um, and we had this great time, and you know, I took him to the, 
to the store and we just we just talked and we met and ironically he was in Birmingham but he was originally from Detroit and so we like connected and I, I just spent time to love this guy I had nowhere else to go at the moment like that's simple but um like man what if somebody else saw like oh you're with this homeless guy he's smoking blah 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 like oh you shouldn't be with him you're aren't you a pastor I've gotten that before I would challenge you love the people that people probably wouldn't love um what would this world look like if you did that um, I think our world would look different, and I think our church would look different if we started to love people in a new way. Regardless of what that looks like for you, I challenge you to start doing it tomorrow. And if you fail, do it the next day. And if you fail, do it the next day. And if you fail, do it the next day. And just keep trying and trying and trying. Because our world needs to be better, and our world can be better. But it's not gonna, it just can't take me, it just can't take people that stand on this stage. It takes all of us to come together and to work as one so that we can continue on this new way. We're going to end just like we started. Jesus came to make a new way, and that new way is love. Pray, pray with me. Dear God, I thank you for being who you are. And in spite of my, in spite of the times where I've turned my back on you, in spite of the times where I've ran away from you, that you've continually pursued me, that you've continually revealed yourself to me as true, and ultimately, you paid the ultimate price for me because you knew that my righteousness was not worth anything but filthy rags. Even the good things that I try to do are just talking pieces. But you say, man, I love you. I'm so thankful that, that you love me to die for me so that one day I'll spend eternity in heaven with you. I pray for everyone in this room and everyone on this live stream that we come to know you, that we come to know you because you are love. And the only way for us to truly love one another is to experience you. I thank you for making a new way. I know it's hard, but it's simple. And I pray that you give me the eyes and the mind to continue walking down the hard road, even when it gets harder, even when it gets harder, that you give me the determination and give us the determination. Because we're halfway through 2020, and it's already been hard, but it might just get harder. None of us wants to admit that. None of us wants to recognize that. But it's potentially that life might get harder. The Lord trust in the fact that you are faithful and you called us to walk down a new way. In Jesus' name, amen.